Father, we bless you. We lift this evening before you. Pray that you would help us in our conversation this evening to to hear from your voice, to discern your leading, your guiding, to to discern how you have formed and fashioned us and how you're calling us. I pray that um, if we've not done this before, it would be uh, helpful and informative in drawing us and calling us to that, that level of worship and living our lives for you. And if we've been through these processes, that it would be refreshing, a time of helping others, uh, a time of uh, hearing your voice anew. So we, we lift this evening before you and, and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right. So what I'm going to do to start, we're, we've been going through discerning your calling, understanding how God's called you. This is uh, week two in the Calling Lab. I'm using the resource I'm using is called Calling Lab from uh, Tampa Underground in um, in Florida. Um, their mission of Tampa Underground is to understand the, at the at the Underground. Our mission is to what inspire people to surrender all their lives to Jesus and His call. That's the basics of all of discipleship: is surrendering our lives to Jesus. Um, number two, connect individuals into missional communities. In other words, finding those um, uh, of, of like calling and working with them. Number three, empowering communities to discover and obey their God-given mission. So, uh, you know, you know, hearing how God's called you, who He's called you to do it with, and then giving you the ability to go do that. And number four, engage every kind of evil in our city with prayer, prayerful action. Jesus said, I came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the kingdom of God. And we are called, every time we reach someone, we are literally destroying the works of the devil. We are literally engaging evil where it is and drawing someone out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So ultimately, this is you know, discipleship. This is discipleship. Um, I love their... Um, uh, their, their mission statement. So, if you haven't done it, sign up at uh, TampaUnderground.com, calling lab, hashtag calling, calling lab. So, it's uh, TampaUnderground.com forward slash calling lab, hashtag calling. You can sign up. You can watch the videos. There's some tests there to take. We're going to talk about those tests tonight. Hope you all have um, had a chance to go through them yourselves. We want to discuss them a little bit. But before we go any further, I just want to go over a review kind of bring us all um, what, what we went through to bring us into what we're going to cover tonight, um, just to kind of get it fresh back in our minds, because it's been a couple of weeks. We had the, we had the break last week with the, uh, with the uh, Awanas program and the school and all the changes and stuff. So <clears throat> that said, let's jump in. There's a, there's a selfish perspective to finding calling, and that it's the wrong perspective. It's like, I want to find my calling so I can be happy, so I can get fulfillment. Um our calling isn't about our, uh, uh, of us for finding fulfillment. We, we will find this place of fulfillment when we actually find how God wants us to carry the responsibility of the gospel in the world. Where we see what the world's needs are and how we're fit to met that, there will be a sense of fulfillment. But that isn't the purpose of it. The purpose of it is reporting for duty to Jesus. The purpose of it is, where does Jesus need us? 
Where is he sending us? Uh, that's, that's what calling is. It's about obeying God, which ultimately is to bring him glory um, and uh, to bring his kingdom into the world. This is what calling is about. You know, it's, it's not about us, though we are the vessel. It's about him living, working through us because we're obedient to him. He's created us. He's bringing all of that creative um, uh, uh, creativity that God put in you for his use. Um, uh, so, so how do you see it? How, how do you see calling, right? Number one, you're called to Jesus. Um, number two, come on, did I go past it? It's like going all over the place. There we go. Number one, we're called to Jesus. Number two, we're sent from him. Number three, we're meeting a kingdom need or purpose. Number four, how long it is, it's up to God. It could be, there, there could be seasons in which we have short-term callings. There could be something that God's called us to that literally we do the rest of our life. Um, so uh, uh, it could be something that's preparing us for another assignment or another season. I know there's a lot of things God called me to for a season that later, it's like, wow, I'm really glad I spent the last three, four, five years doing that because now he has that incorporated in my life in another way and work something in me for the for this. So um, here's the thing. In discerning the calling from God, number one, don't be resolved on an answer before you've asked God and waited for his response. In other words, don't come to God ahead of time saying, God, I know my calling. I just need you to confirm this. It's stopping and saying, okay, Lord, um, I see all these things in front of me. I really like this. I like that. But all that put aside, what is it? God has the one who has the plan, not us. Our part is to discover what part does he want us to play in his plan, not the other way around. Um, so intentionally, as we go through this process, intentionally, Surrender your agenda to God's plan. Just surrender. Just say, God, I'm, I'm open. What is it you want to speak? I'm open. Put your trust in him and his plan. Because that's the plan that's actually going to come about. Um, and only to the extent that our plan lines up as a part of his plan will our plans actually come about. Um, ask yourself whether you're waiting to hear from God before you decide to obey him and surrender him. This is a really important question. I mean, it's like, well, you know, I, I'll, um, let me hear what it is you want me to do, God. Oh, okay, I like that. That's good. Well, hey, what's option number two? You know, that's, <laughs> there is no plan B. God's the one who created us. He knows what the plan is. Um, so where do we start? We start with Jesus. We offer ourselves to God through Christ. We say yes to God before he speaks to us. Like the Israelites, when they came out from Egypt, uh, you know, before they heard from from the Lord from the mountain, I, uh, will you be my people? Yes, we will be your people. You will be our God. Okay, let's talk about how this is going to work. That's where we start. It's worship, it's called. Worship, it's what it's called. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The, the presenting of all that you are to him. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is. And that's what this process is we're doing. We're testing in order to discern God's will. First thing we're testing here is are we submitted and surrendered to hear what he has to say? The next thing we're going to be testing is looking at how he's put us together and how we interact in the world. And are we willing to submit and surrender to that and how he might use that? And we'll be looking at other pieces. And what is the good, acceptable, another way of thinking of acceptable, kosher. Same word, kosher. What is the good, kosher, and perfect will of God? Hmm. So we already know a whole lot about calling. You I mean, there are certain things in the scriptures you don't have to have special marching orders to know. We're called to be disciples. We're called to care for the poor. We're called to love our neighbor. We're called to live with compassion and concerns towards others. Um, so there's, there, I mean, you know, just a few examples of things. These are things we're all called to, um, you know, be hospitable, be giving, be loving, all these types of things that, you know, that, are, that are commands in the scripture. But there's also specifics. Those specifics come as we offer ourselves to God. We offer them to him. He begins to, to speak those specifics. So here's um, what I want us to consider as a verse for calling. This is cool because most of us know the first half of it. It's the second half of it that goes with it that doesn't often get quoted that demonstrates the fullness of it. How many, how many are familiar with this? For by grace you have been saved through faith. Anybody familiar with that? And, yes, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. We know many of, we probably all have that memorized. We've heard it dozens and dozens of times. But that next part that goes with that is this. For, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. No one can boast. For, why? The purpose of that is to be his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God intended something for us back before he created creation. I know exactly where I want to put you. I've just had this, I have this thing you've been thought about okay and this is what i'm going to put you this time this place this generation right here and it's um this these are the skills talents and abilities this is i got it's like i got this i got this i got this so what is the method we're going to be using to try to discern this to try to understand this it's called triangulating your calling right what is that about um it's the process we're going to use to consider uh, uh, what our callings are. And so when you learn anything, anything that you learn, in order to learn it, you need to study it from various viewpoints, right? One of the things I like is the, the right side of the brain, right side, this side over here, looks, at it, looks and learns from the big picture to the detail. The left side of the brain looks and learns from the detail of the big picture. And you have to look both ways. And, and when you look both ways and understand something from both perspectives, then you know it. Then you get it. It stays in your memory long term. Like if you cram for a test and you're only looking at the detail and you don't put it in a big picture, in two days it goes away. There's actually a chemical that's released in your brain two days afterwards. It just washes it all away and you don't remember hardly any of it unless you have some kind of connection to it, which is needing that big picture. So we're going to try to discover what? The creator's purpose in design. You have been designed. We're not random collocation of atoms. 
It didn't go from the goo to the zoo to you. You have been designed. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. So, we need to examine ourselves from various viewpoints, discover the purpose for which the Creator designed us. And, and we're going to look at some ways to do that. So, the first is, first thing we need to understand is that calling is not ancillary to being a believer. It's the basis of it. And we've, we've studied that quite a bit. Um, if I want, and if I, if I want to look at it, if I want to, if I want to take an object and I want to know what its purpose is, what do I do? I do more than just look at it. I, I try to understand who made this. Why did they make it? You know, what, what, what was their thinking when they made this? What were they thinking its purpose was? And then we, and we start looking at all the different, you know, vantage points that we're, we're studying it. Well, guess what? We've got a creator. Guess what? He gave us a purpose. So we're going to look at our lives specifically from six vantage points. There are six vantage points we're looking at our lives from. Um, and those six vantage points can be put three into an objective uh, aspect, an objective state, and three in a subjective sense. So we're going to look at some objective things about ourselves, and then we're going to look at subjectively what God may be revealing to us. So objective is something that's going to be true, you know, um, uh, uh, objectively, in other words, we can test it, we can, you know, get some empirical evidence on it. Subjective means it's going to take some discernment. It's going to take some listening on our part to try to wrestle with it and struggle it down. All right. So this is the picture. I hope everybody has this picture because we're going to use this. If you need to put it in your camera, if you need to whatever, draw it, um, take a picture of it. Because as we go through this process, you're actually going to add to it. You're going to put on that the different things you discover about you. And you'll notice there's two triangles here. There's an outer triangle, personality, vocation, narrative. And then there's an inner triangle, prayer, counselor, and emotions. Okay? This week, we're going to deal with the outer, um, personality, vocation, narrative. Hopefully, we'll, we'll get through that. Um, and, and as we look at these different pieces, you fill them in. Actually, write on there what you're seeing, what you're hearing, what, what you're learning. And then, then next week, hopefully, we'll get through emotions, prayer, and counselor. We'll, we'll, we'll start on that and see how far we get. And again, and again, fill them in. Fill them in. And those, those become a means, if you notice, it's going from this outer to this inner to the calling itself. Sorry, let me turn this off. Okay, so the outer triangle, as I just mentioned, it's this, the objective state of our person. It shows us more of the concrete indicators of our calling. Um, the vocational assessment is discovering the role God designed to, you to fulfill. And we're going to look at this in detail tonight. Personality is discovering the type of personality that clarifies um, who you are. It's not your identity. It doesn't tell you who you are. It gives us some clarity to understanding how we behave. Um, narrative analysis, discovering the experiences and, and, and that have shaped us and what opportunities we have in front of us. And those are really important, and we'll see why. So those are what we're going to cover tonight. Um, next week, we'll get into the inner triangle, which is much more subjective. Um, and it, and it's going to be more abstract. Um, you've got emotional evaluation. We're gonna. What are, what are the things we're naturally drawn to? Um, we're gonna look at listening prayer. How do we hear the voice of God as we're as we're calling on Him and discerning that voice? Um, and we're gonna look at counselor input. Uh, input. If you have people in your life who know you and that you 
to who love you and you love them. And, and you come to them and, they, and they're like, hey, I've got this great idea. And they look at you and go, eh. You probably need to stop and take a hard look at that. Right? And so it's important to have this, this input and vice versa. All right, so we're going to begin with a question tonight. Here's the question. This is a, contem- a contemplative question for, for a minute. Just take 30 seconds to think on this question. Why is calling important to you? Write this down. Write your answer down. If you've got notes on your phone, put it in your phone. Write on a piece of paper. I've got a pencil. If someone needs a pencil, anybody need a pencil? Write it down right now. Why is calling important to you? When you've gotten through that, let me know. doesn't need to be a treatise. You can make it bullet points. You can just put, you know, words that remind you. But it's, in, it's important to intentionally think about these things. Good. How you doing? Moan in. What we're doing right now, if you hear the silence, is because I've, I just asked everybody to consider a question. Why is calling important to you? Why is calling important to you? So if you've got a, um, you've got a notebook or, or if you've got your phone with you, pull up notes or something, and, um, and just kind of jot that down. This is Daniel, everybody. Everybody say hi, Daniel. All right. Everybody good? Kind of thought about it? We don't all need to go around and share, but if anybody wouldn't mind sharing, just one, just one or two people to share here, just kind of, if you don't mind sharing and other people knowing this and hearing it. Okay. Direction? All right. Anybody else? Wow, you don't want to be a leaf blowing everywhere. You want to have some, again, kind of like that direction, some meaning, some purpose. That's good. Anybody else? Yeah, discovering why God created you. These are good. These are good. These are good. All right, let's jump in. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to do a personal inventory. This is this outer triangle we were looking at. Um, we're going to take, a pers- take personal stock here. We've got some videos we're going to look at. The first part of this, remember we had three parts to this. We had the personality type. Um, uh, uh, we've got opportunities, and then we'll also have um, like a spiritual inventory. We're going to look at these three, three aspects tonight. So um, what do personality, this is important. I'm going to say it. We'll, we'll look, the, we've got a short video for each, each one of these we're going to look at. Um, what do personality typologies, what they do is they allow us to see there are commonalities between human beings. There's patterns that emerge over time, ways that you may react to problems and stress and learn that there are other human beings who respond in similar ways that you do. And we can see in those commonalities revelation and discovery about yourself. And that's helpful. 
you're going to see you have a way that God's wired you in which you process things in this world. And it's not like everyone else, but it is like some other people. And there's a commonality to it, and there's a differentiation to it. And this is really helpful. Now, it's helpful as long as we don't see these as our identity. Your identity is Christ, not your personality. He is your identity. Instead, we see that we handle, we look, we deal with things in a certain way. And it can be incredibly enriching. I, um, we have done, I've done this in depth in our lives, in our family. We've done it in, you know, working with our kids. I do it in a lot of marriage counseling. And it is hugely helpful. Hugely helpful. Why? Because uh, we all think, look, I'm a reasonably intelligent human being. I look at the world reasonably correct. I love Jesus. Well, then everybody else sees the world that way I do, right? <laughs> so wrong. So wrong. But it is helpful to understand how I do see it and, and why others might see it differently. Um, and there's going to be another reason that tags on to this that's going to be equally important. And we'll pick up that reason as we go through the video. So right now, let's go ahead and take a watch at this video. And, uh, and then we'll have some discussion about it. We're not particular on what sort of personality typology you use. It doesn't, in one sense, it doesn't matter. Uh, this is this is an exercise in, in what's called social science. So, social science is an attempt to categorize human behavior, to understand, unpack, categorize human behavior. And so, personality typologies, and there are many out there, are an attempt to do that to categorize human behavior. Now, this is important because. Your personality inventory, then, is not a feature of identity. It's not something to say, this is who I am. The mistake that people make with their personality typology is to say, well, I'm an INTJ, or I'm, a, I'm an 8 on the Enneagram. Uh, that's not true. And that's actually a, can be a problem for you going forward and for your friends when we start over-identifying with our personalities and trying to categorize people and so on. It's, it's awkward, and it's actually not good. It's not biblical. Instead, what they do is they allow us to see that there are commonalities between human beings, patterns that emerge over time, ways that you maybe react to problems or stress or uh, are creative. And, I, and there are other human beings that respond in a similar way. And we can see in those commonalities and those patterns, oh, revelation, discovery about yourself. And I think that is so cool, so helpful. So as long as we don't look at it as an identity, this is who I am, but instead say, I tend to, like a group of other people in similar ways, handle things a certain way, look at things a certain way, deal with adversity and opportunity a certain way. Man, it can be so incredibly enriching and cool. So for us, uh, in a way, it doesn't really matter what typology you use. Now, if you're going to do this as a group or go through as a group, it would be good to use the same typology so you can look for commonalities and patterns even within your own friends. Um, probably the most uh, developed would be maybe Myers-Briggs typology. There's four dualisms or categories, which many people have done. Uh, I think that's great. It's a little complex for me. Like for the layman that wants in just a day to understand personality, that's going to be tough. So trying to do that or use that, those union types, is going to be tough. Um, 
you know, we, we've used Strength Finders. That's one of the one of the, the resources that we've made available. I think that's really good. It has some interesting stuff to say. What is there, 31 strengths that people can have, and then they give you your top five. And um, and the, I think those are very helpful in, in their description of the way you sort of act, but they're hard to understand how they work together. That's tricky. You almost have to be an expert in that Clifton typology to, to be able to understand how they really work together and the difference between you and someone else. So they can be a revelation about certain aspects, who you are and the way you operate, but hard to really be communal around the strength stuff. So in in the past, the, the one we gravitated towards, the Enneagram, the, the nine type Enneagram, which is pretty easy to understand in a day. Uh, and then the other thing we really like about the Enneagram is it gives you the shadow. It gives you the, the dark side of it. And so no matter what you use, if you're going to use uh, Strength Finder or if you're going to use uh, Myers-Briggs or even something more simplistic like the disc or something like that, do look for the dark side. Do look for the downside. And one of the strengths I think of the, of the Enneagram is it will tell you, okay, this type, when healthy, can be sort of fantastic, fabulous in this way. And and when unhealthy, can be very sick and very uh, destructive. Uh, at least for me, that, that rings more true uh, for my personality. Like, whatever is good about my personality also carries with it a, a, a backside, a shadow. It casts a shadow and has dangers associated with it and key temptations and so on. So I think that's important, too, to figure that out. We're not just a bundle of wonderful strengths and cool uh, personality uh, quirks. We're, we're, we're a mess, too. So it doesn't, in the end, matter so much the typology you choose, as long as you allow it to take you into self-reflection and self-discovery and honest appraisal of yourself. And, in one sense, to give respect and dignity to others in the way that they are different than that, that's probably one of the big takeaways is that you, at least as a community, you look and say, oh, that's why you're like that. That's why you do that. And that's why you drive me crazy because I'm different than you and you think different than me and I think different than you. It can really be, that also can be enriching communally. It's not just a self-discovery, but it's realizing that we are different and that is beautiful and there is something stronger because we're different. So that is a, that's probably a, a, a key component that determines not what you will do, but the way you'll do it, and as you look at certain kind of calling options, you, you will begin to say, well, I shouldn't do this, and I shouldn't do that, and I'll, I'll, I'll probably thrive in these sort of environments, but not these environments, right? And that's why that's helpful. Okay, so just to kind of summarize a lot of what he talked about in there, um, number one, the, the type of personality test that you that you do doesn't matter. Doesn't really matter, right? Um, our our goal is what? It's to unpack and categorize how we how we behave, how we process, how we look. And all of them have strengths and and, and weaknesses. I, I mentioned last week the two that I like the best are MBTI, which is one that he mentioned. The other one I like is Ocean or the Big Five. It's called. Um, uh, and I'm not. I know, they're, I know that he's really a fan of the Enneagram, and I understand why he says it. I've got other reasons why I don't like it. But um, this is what's important to understand from it. Your personality category is not your identity. 
Our identity is Christ. We are a child of the living God. We are a son and daughter of the living God. That is our identity. What this does is help us to understand how God wired us. Um, so the mistake that people make in doing this is identifying is then identifying themselves as their type. So why are they helpful? Um, they identify common ways that we behave, number one. We discover things about ourselves by discovering those commonalities. I'll, I'll tell you what. How, one of the things that, that um, and this kind of tells a little bit about my personality, especially back when I was a teenager. I remember when you, you when I was a teenager and you'd hear statistics, you know, 80% of the people act this way, 90% of the people act this way, 60% of the people act this way, 50% of the people act this way, you know, and, and did this. And every time I'd hear that, I would go, well, I'm in the 10%. Well, I'm in the 5%. Well, I'm in the 15%. I mean, it was like, no, I'm not going to be typical. And then when I started taking these tests and Diane and I got married and I started hearing about how men and women behave and all these other things, I'm like, I'm so typical. It's not funny. I found I was like, yeah, there's a reason why it's a majority. And I find myself so often right smack in the middle of it. It became a reality check, right? But, and so it became an objective means of actually evaluating how I was behaving and, and discovering how um, um, my wife was distinct and different than I was and, uh, and how it helped us. So I'm going to jump ahead by telling a little story. Um, um, uh, there's, there's, there's so so many. I'm, this is one I'll pick right here. Um, when this this is because this is a more recent one, uh, we we did the the uh, Big Five the Ocean Test Big Five O C E A N, um, which is you're, it's looking at openness to change on a continuum, it's looking at conscientiousness on a continuum, it looks at extroversion on a continuum, it looks at agreeableness on a continuum, and the last one N is neuroticism on a continuum. Now, neuroticism isn't what it sounds like. Um, it's not like, are you a, a, you know, um, a clinically neurotic person? What it means, someone who has a high neurotic, is someone who has a high thinking about safety and, and security and those types of concerns. Someone who is a, a lower on that continuum has less concern about those things. Well, um, you know, lo and behold, when Diane and I uh, 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 took that test, now about it's about a 60-40 split. Typically, women are higher in neuroticism than men. It's not 100%, but it's about 60% of the time. If you went to the population, 60% of the time, if you took two people, a man and a woman, and you said the woman was higher, you're going to be right 60% of the time. Well, in our case, we fall right in that curve. She's much higher in neuroticism than I am. And so when I understood that, when I understood that, things that she would say that seemed to me, why are you worried about that, that looked like worry and fear to me, I discovered weren't worry and fear. It's the natural way God wired her. Now, when she discovered it, what she discovered is she can take those things that are naturally the way she's wired and make them things to worry about. That's something that she discovered. And so I'm driving down the road one day, and she says, hey, we haven't taken care of this, and this is probably something that's really good for the future we take care of. And I thought to myself, normally I went, okay, we'll get to that. It's not, you know, it's like, that. but I thought to myself, wait a minute. She's a high neurotic. She thinks about these types of things. This is a gift in our family. 
because I don't think this way. And I said to her, yes, I said, you know what? I realize you're a high neurotic. You're thinking about these things, and it's really important that I hear this. I don't think about these things, and this is actually going to be really helpful if we do this. And she said to me, she goes, the funny thing to me is I don't know how somebody can not think about it. It doesn't make sense to me. You see? It's not our identity. It's how God wired us and how we're completing one another because we've discovered this. And what would have been conflict became something that brings in completion and wholeness. This is why we go through these things. And there's been many more. Well, I'll give one other example. Um, when I took the MBTI test, and, and hopefully we'll, y'all uh, have taken some of this so you can share this. I don't mind sharing mine. I am an E. Uh, I'm about to break the rule here. Here's the rule. Let me put it up there. Don't say I am, say I tend to. <laughs> Why? Just to break the habit of not trying to make it your identity. My tendency, my score is an ENTP. ENTP. So what is the easy, high and extroversion? When I took the test, I scored zero or an introversion. I know that's hard for people to believe. But I literally scored a zero. Now, how, you know, because they tell you no one ever, ever one way or the other. At that moment, I was literally... <laughs> and and what it means is, um, it doesn't mean, um, what it means is where you get energy. I get I get a lot of energy when I'm around people. I could I could be tired and come into a room full of people, especially if it's a non-stressful situation, and be around people, start talking all that. Man, I walk out of the room wired full of energy. High a high introvert, which my wife is high on introversion, um, could be around people. Literally, could be the life of the party. It doesn't mean she doesn't like people. She loves people. She loves to help, be compassionate, and all these other things. But when she goes home, it's like don't talk to me. Put me in a room. My batteries are depleted. I need to be recharged. I go home, and I'm bouncing off the wall. Go to bed. How can I go to bed now? I got so much energy. It's time to work out. Okay, now this is really important that we understand this difference. Trust me. You know, because I grew up in a house where we literally had a revolving door with all kinds of people visiting us all all the time. She grew up in a house where that wasn't as as, as much of an occurrence. And so, um, you know, we, we were first married, and I'm like, okay, let's go do this this weekend. And we go out, and the next weekend, and hey, there's this opportunity to go do this. She says, we were with people last weekend. I said, yeah, exactly. Wasn't it great? And we could do it this weekend, too. She goes, no. <laughs> you see, what could be conflict ended up becoming something that, that we learned how to work together. It was good for both of us because it really is good for both of us to stretch beyond because there's a downside as it as well. Because I want to do what I naturally want to do, it also can, can cause me to naturally live by my nature rather than submit my nature to Christ. And that's the other aspect that's important to this. What are these things I naturally want to do that I may have to crucify in order to let Jesus through? I may be a high introvert, but in this moment, Jesus needs me to minister to this person. And I need to call on his grace. I may need to be a high extrovert, but in this moment, Jesus needs me quiet by myself, just between me and him. And, and so we look at what are the, uh, not only what are the upsides, but what are the dark sides? What are those things that can cause us to not obey Christ? That's why we do these things. Um, so the goal is not to, sell, to get my identity. The goal is to discover how he created me. 
how he created those around me, how there's going to be commonalities between us and how there's going to be differences and how do we work those things together. They don't determine what you will do. Your personality type, whatever you come up with, is not your will. It's not your will. They help you understand why you might desire to do something a certain way, different than the way someone else might. That's a really a, a good clue. Now, why, let me give you how this affects calling. I may really like be drawn into, um, uh, uh, I really care about, you know, I don't know, working in children's ministry. And I really want to work in children's ministry, and I'm really drawn to that. But um, I don't like talking in front of people. I don't even like talking in front of kids. I'm not interested. It makes me really uncomfortable. Well, it might not be a really good idea to be in children's ministry to be the one teaching. But, you know, I really like to organize things. Well, that children's ministry needs people who organize. And so by understanding some of these things, and it's not that God wouldn't, couldn't call you into something you're not comfortable with. Trust me. There are plenty of things. That's not my ministry, Lord. He goes, yeah. Yeah, let's have another talk, son. But the point being is if you're looking at these things, you need to look and understand what might be the sacrifice I have to make in doing this. What might be the struggle I have in doing this. Something I may have to give over to God in order to give me the grace to do it. All right. All right. So, so um, um, looks at where you might thrive, where you might have difficult challenges. All right. Uh, so, did anybody? Has, um, we talked about last week. People taking the test. Has anybody taken any of the tests? All right. If y'all don't mind, let's just kind of share a little bit. Somebody would somebody be willing to share a little bit about what they discovered about themselves? I need an extrovert to start us off. <laughs> Oh interesting. oh, interesting. Well, well there, which, which test, test did you, did you take? take? You took... You're an ESTP? Okay. You, you have... them back up. You have ESTP tendencies? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, um, just to kind of talk a little bit about what that means. Um, so, ease get their strength and energy from being around people. S is like to deal with the hard, concrete facts of the world. N's preferred uh, to deal with, like, theories and ideas and concepts. S is, so here's, here's the typical between an S and an N. If you, people who have those tendencies, you walk into a room and you bring a new idea into the room. The people with an S tendency will listen to that, back up, people with an end tendency will listen to that idea and they will, they might typically go something like, and you know what, and we could do this, and we could do this, and we could do this, and this is possible, and that's possible, and this is possible, and the S person might chime in and say, yeah, 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 but this is where we are. This is what's in front of us. This is the, what we have to face. And so you can see where you need both. And it's really cool when you can discover which tendencies you have. Um, you said T? So, T, T people, as we're having a conversation like this, as we're talking, persons who are uh, high in a T orientation are going to tend to really be engaged in the facts and information of the conversation that we're having. 
And as the conversation is going on, they're thinking in their mind, what's the next piece to add to it? What's the next piece to say to it? And they're kind of going back and forth like this. Whereas F's, the opposite of a T is an F, people who are a little higher in F are going to be much more looking at, well, what's this person thinking about this? And what's that person thinking about this? And how do I get this person engaged in it and that person engaged in it? And then finally, the last was, you said P? Okay, so P um, uh, versus a J. Um, P's are... Are, are those who are much more comfortable with decisions not made because they are on the quest to get more information to make a decision. Jays are much more comfortable with their decisions made once they, they don't need as much information to make a decision because they have a bigger comfort level with the decision already made. And once it's made, it's made. I don't really need more information. Funny story in our family. Um, uh, my son is a very high J. My my um, my wife, um, my daughter, and myself um, have have probably higher P tendencies. Although Diane's Diane's kind of in the middle of that mix. I'm in the middle of that mix as well. But um, we we go to D.C. to visit him when he graduates from his master's degree, and we we um, we're going to a restaurant. And as we're heading to the restaurant. Um, uh, Isaac, Diane says, Isaac, where do you want to go? This is graduation. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Says, this is where I want to go. Okay. Let's go there. Let's make the plan. We start heading there. Well, the two ladies in the back are saying, well, you know, there's this other restaurant. We could try this, and this might be another idea, and how about this? And so finally they said to Isaac, what about this place or that place or this place? And Isaac chimes in and goes, we've already made a decision. <laughs> I don't need any more information. <laughs> But we haven't found the perfect restaurant. You see? And um, uh, it's, these are important things to know about how we operate. Now, again, when I took the test, I literally scored a 16 on P and a 14 on J. Which is really interesting because a lot of jobs and things that I've done in my life need typically are done by people that are high J's. It's like, how can you, who is a, has, a, has a high P tendency, do that job? Well, because I'm pretty well balanced between the two, and I can kind of flow between them. So uh, um, I go either way. So that's really it. What did you learn about you as you kind of went through that? No, I'm talking to Joe back there. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, okay. 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 Ooh, interesting. Yeah. 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 Ready, fire, aim, the negative side of that? Yeah. That's cool. When with the MBTI, the SP combination is a temperament combination, and they tend to like to do things for the thrill of it. <laughs> yeah. That's fascinating. All right. Anything else, Anything else you want to share? Thank you for Thank sharing, you sharing it. it. Anybody, else Anybody else willing to share? To share?
Ooh, interesting. Ah, so you you got that kind of on the crux there between the two as well. Yeah. So um, my daughter is an INTP. That's Brenda. Yes. And so what that means is your mind is going. Uh, you, your mind is going to have the tendency to want to go 100 miles an hour all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, and when it comes time to make a decision, you're one working that decision over and over and over and over and over. And, and, and am I close? <laughs> yeah, and and that's because you like to get you. There's it's like if there can be one more ounce of information out there before you make the decision, you want to get it before you do. Yeah, yeah. But see how that that can be helpful is there's a positive side and a negative side, right? The positive side is is you're going to tend to make good decisions because you've got lots of information. The negative side is you may miss some opportunities because you waited too long. That ever happen? Yeah. So, but if you know that and you know how that's how you how those tendencies are, you can uh, you can examine that part of you. So. You don't really need to take the test again. I would. Oh yeah. Well, that's helpful. But I would, if I, if I did anything, what I would do is look look at what the what it describes and take those things to Jesus. I would spend some time in quiet time between Jesus, saying, "Okay, Lord, if this is how you wired me, help me to discover what it is you want me to see about this wiring um, through you. How do you want to use this?" I would spend more time doing that. Um, and and letting the Lord um, uh, um, speak to you through it, then you know just kind of taking the test over and over again. Did you do any of the other tests? Okay. Well, I I appreciate, especially being an I that you shared. So thank you. Yeah, <laughs> you scored zero on E, which means you you get you draw a lot of energy in your quiet time. Which you know the the cool thing about that is um, you can you can uh, understand that this is an excellent way to have devotional time with Jesus, and you can draw a lot of discipleship and dis- uh, and maturity and. Um, experiencing of, with God through that as a natural way that he's wired you. It's actually a much more difficult thing for me to do. It's, 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 it takes a lot of discipline for me to do that. So this is a, this is a really cool thing. Yeah, you get energy out of that. I'm like, okay, done. are we done now, Lord? Are we done? There's no people here. <laughs> it's not that bad. Sometimes it is. But anybody else willing to share? I-N-F-P-T. Okay, so you did with the turbulent assertive on the end of it. So, you're, so that's turbulent. The the T on the end is turbulent. I-N-F-T-P with a T. I-N-F-P with a T on the end. Okay. So that added component um, is a turbulent uh, um, the turbulent descriptor are, again, the, those that will have 
a lot of processing going on in their brain um, uh, in when they're when they're making choices and decisions in their lives. The A descriptor on the end are, are assertives. They're going to be much more chill about things that are going on. So um, when you marry it with other parts, that can come out in different ways. It can come out. Um, it can come out in um, wanting to force or, or wanting to control your situation. Um, uh, and so that would be a side to say, okay, Jesus, I have a tendency to want to control everything. How about in the midst of this, I surrender this to you? So you said INFPE, right? Okay. So that, that um, you know, the characteristic, you, you, it's very an individual who really wants other people to be engaged. There's a tendency to really want to see other people be engaged. Go ahead. Is that close? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and caring about what, what are, how are other people feeling about what's going on in the moment. That's good. That's cool. Did you do any of the others? Okay. Appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. Anybody else have something? Danny? The, the, the strength finder? Oh, okay. The ocean? Oh, oh, the A-S-E-P-T. Yeah, we're going to look at that next. Yeah, right now we're just doing the personality. We're going to be looking at that one next. Did you do the personality at all? Or did you already... Okay. Okay. All right. Anybody else willing to share? I N F J. It's an advocate, and guess what? It's fascinating because you have a new job that just like exactly fits with those tendencies. That's that's crazy cool. That's crazy cool. Really? Wow. Isn't that kind of cool? Yeah. Isn't it fun to discover these things? Yeah. But here's the tendency. Here's the downside. When things aren't helpful for someone the way you feel like they should, you can pick up that burden and carry it. And that's a burden Jesus has to carry. And so that's there's going to be this burden and weight you're going to feel that you're going to have to keep bringing back to him in order to be effective in how he's created you. Yeah. See? Results? I-S-F-J with a T. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would submit that that T on the end is why you have trouble with answering the test. 
Yeah. So, again, the T on the end is turbulent um, versus assertive. The turbulent mind is, is, well, it could be this. Well, it could be that. Well, what do they mean by this? What do you mean by that? I mean, I'm trying to find that exact precise way of answering and don't and have a very difficult time, which is naturally just answer, just go. You know, the and A's are going to be much more, well, it's just this. Let me pick this one. Let's see what it does. And um, uh, so that T could, on the end could be very much wise. Um that describes why you you had trouble with this with the, um, going through it. Interesting. I, um, well, I mean, obviously, I can see all of those tendencies. Um, uh, and we've we've discussed these at length. A lot of them. So that's cool. Is there something out of it that you would say, okay, I've seen this, and now I recognize this is an area where. Um, I have to submit, su- submit or surrender to Jesus because of my tendencies. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I'm done. I'm done. That's good. Anybody else? All right. Thank you. Um, so here's what we want to do right now is just write down that assessment on that part of the triangle. Write down what you saw, what you came up with. On your on your triangle with the part for personality, make a note. On your triangle, in that outer segment, personality type, um, write that down. On your calling triangle, the outer outer calling triangle. All right. So the next thing we're going to look at is vocational assessment. Um, so this is this is the this is the test that, that Jenny was just talking about. This is figuring out our spiritual gifts and the vocation uh, uh, the vocation of spiritual gifts it's it's a way which Jesus is inside of you so uh, um it's a way that Jesus in you comes out shines through um there's a design there's a pattern that is recognizable to other people in the way that you reflect Jesus um so um it, it kind of answers this question when i see you I see Jesus in you in a certain way, and so we're gonna we're gonna examine through this and and uh, uh, kind of talk about it. That's just kind of the setup. Let's take a look at the video, and uh, we'll go from there. The word vocation is central to this whole discussion because obviously that's the the Latin for calling. That's where we get the word voice, vocal. Uh, to to be called, to hear a voice uh, speak to you. Um, this is your vocation. So we have used it sort of in a secular sense as your job, but probably more appropriately, at least in terms of the, the words themselves, occupation would be better uh, for your job. Although some of us have been able to, by the grace of God, have our vocation and our occupation be the same thing. But it is possible that your occupation is not your vocation many, many of our cases. Uh, you know, I might work as a car salesman, but my vocation, that's my occupation, my vocation is as an evangelist. 
So we're looking for uh, categories. We're looking for what, then what are vocations? At least as we talk, when we talk about personality, we talk about categories and patterns. So are there? Can we do social science on the church on the way that God portions grace? So if you look at Ephesians four, this is to each of us grace has been apportioned. Each of us, not some special people, but everyone has been given grace. And then he turns that, we understand that, but then we, he turns that discussion very quickly into a discussion about five offices, five types of people that actually are gifts to the church, to the body. All of them are gifts. He says that Christ gave them. So each of us has been given grace to become a gift in ourselves to the body. Really cool. And that is our calling or our vocation. If we recapture or reclaim that word in a biblical sense, then we have to really answer the question of these five gifts, these five offices, these five types. He says that you know Christ gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be shepherds, and then some to be teachers. And you know, smarter people than me have unpack that and really looked at it and it's quite comprehensive actually uh, it's it's sort of a holistic leadership model if you have those five people functioning at a high level with each other and now we all sort of have a mixture I'm sure but like primarily really holding up that value set it's remarkable what those kinds of people can do together so a simple maybe uh, description or definition, and some of this is, is conjecture, some of this is observation, some of this is scriptural from the New Testament to try to figure out what, what is an apostle, what does it look like, aside from just the semantics of it, what is an apostle. And it, it does seem to me, it does seem uh, kind of common that apostles are people that start things, they're people with, a, with their eyes toward the borders. They are those that want to break new ground and are entrepreneurial and carry maybe in some ways a sort of multiplicity of competencies to be able to pull that off, to draw people in. They build things often from nothing, from scratch. Prophets, I think we understand a little more clearly that word is even used all over the place. And a prophet is someone that speaks truth to power, that is interested, at least scripturally, is interested in the, the, the vertical. They're, they want to know, what is God, what do you think, and what do you have to say? And they'll often interact with the wide world and with their fellow human beings in a corrective kind of mandate to say, you know, we're not hearing God properly. This is what God wants to say to us. And, you know, prophet isn't just about predicting the future. By and large, in the Bible, the prophet is calling the people to repentance or the people back to God if they've drifted. Uh, but it doesn't always have to be negative. I mean, prophets can, can call us back to the love of God or the grace of God as well. But it's, it is about realigning to the vertical. Um, evangelist maybe is the clearest word because it's about bringing good news. And uh, there are people that are, it seems, really driven by... Uh, the, the lost 
and a love for the lost that's so compelling, so comprehensive that they, people must hear this message. People must know this Jesus. And um, this is what makes the heart of an evangelist beat faster. They are often more comfortable with non-believers than they are even with believers because that's how God has wired them and called them. Maybe we have more of an experience, at least in the church environment, with shepherds and with teachers because we have, as Western civilization, raised those gifts above the others and we have installed those people as primary in their leadership over the church, which is a mistake and incorrect. Uh, but nevertheless, they still carry great value, great weight in their leadership. The shepherd, I think, what we might say is a pastoral gift, is about care, nurture. Um, walking with people, a one-to-one -one and smaller groups toward wholeness, toward faithfulness, toward help in God. They are the people you go to when you're hurting. You, go, you don't go to a prophet when you're sad. Uh, you go to the shepherds in your life. And then teachers like to systematize things. I think they, they're good at analyzing. They're good at understanding things, breaking them down for us, and then putting them in units we can understand. They take complex things and create for us uh, patterns to understand those complex things. And that is a great gift also to the church. Not just about orthodoxy, but about everything. When I was a kid, I had a light bright. You know, the light bright was... Effectively, it was this plastic box with like a light bulb in it. I mean, actually, when you took it apart, it was sort of disappointing. But when you got it in the box, it's it's it had that that construction paper, that sort of black construction paper. And then I I remember they had these templates, and you could you could put a template on your light bright, and then they take these translucent pegs and you pop it, and it had all these little holes behind the construction paper, which you wouldn't see until you poked in the, the little translucent pegs, <clears throat> and you could make designs. You know, make a daisy or you could make a dragon or whatever or you just design your own thing and 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 what I think was is is meaningful for us in this discussion is that that's where light shined through wherever you poked a hole in that construction paper through that peg light would shine through in that design that you had made and I think in some ways figuring out our our, our gifts our spiritual gifts and the vocation of spiritual gifts is a way in which Jesus inside you, Christ in you, just comes out, shines through in a design, in a pattern that's recognizable to other people. It's like when I see you, when I get to know you, I see Jesus in you in a certain way. And we don't want to give up on the rest of the, 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 the black uh, construction paper. We want to keep poking holes the whole of our life. We want to keep poking holes so that Jesus shines through everywhere. But there's always going to be places where he just comes out more naturally than others where the light of Jesus shines through us and there just doesn't seem to be a barrier there. I think that's what's so really beautiful. When I see someone say that's a shepherd because I'm not a very good shepherd. That's not my, that wouldn't be my strength. There's, there's no holes poked there. Um, <clears throat> when I see someone who's truly gifted as a shepherd, I just think it's amazing and beautiful and I wonder how they do it. And I might even say to someone like that, how do you do that? How do you just love people like that? How do you listen so deeply, so intently? How do you care so deeply? And their response almost always will be, I just do. I don't know how I do that. It's just a way that Jesus shines through them, and there does not seem to be a barrier. Someone might ask me, you know, I mean, how do you, uh, you know, challenge things? That, that doesn't seem hard to me. Um, 
how do I not is actually my problem. Not challenging it, not being prophetic is hard for me. Uh, so it's just a way that God shines through me easily. There's no barrier there. There are uh, tests, kind of like typology tests out there, and I think we'd probably encourage you to try to take one of those, people to take one of those uh, to figure that out, because that is a critical piece of knowing our calling is which of these do I sense God is most developing me to be? And again, you may be a combination of things, but uh, at least in my experience, every believer, every Jesus follower that I've really known and walked with does tend to bear the marks of one of these gifts. Uh, it isn't it, it isn't all we are, and it is a complex thing, but I do think we should try to answer that question. Which of these five am I most drawn to? Which of these five do I most see God at work in my life? Okay, so the word vocation is central to this whole uh -oh. discussion. There we go. So, um, vocation, it's important to understand how it's being used in, uh, in this uh, study. I like understanding it as your voice. Most of us think of vocation like like job. We often use it as a as a word as a synonym for job or occupation. Some of us will use it even for the meaning of calling itself. Your vocation is your calling. I think the way it's described for this category, voice is better. What's the voice? Um, and are there patterns or categories of how um, you see the world? From the way, from from Jesus in you, the way the grace of God has worked in you. Um, I like this verse here. This is Ephesians 4, 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He has given us grace. And in that grace, there's the gifting of Christ that's going to come through. And there's different aspects of that grace that are going to be expressed. Um, in verse 11, it says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now, um, uh, I want to make a couple of distinctions here. This is not saying you take this test and you are an apostle or you are an evangelist. That's not what this is saying. Okay? Um, what this is saying is uh, individuals who are apostles have a gifting to be able to operate in a certain way, uh, be able to express Jesus in a certain way. And uh, people who are prophetic have a gifting to express Jesus in a certain way. Evangelistic, uh, shepherds. And we're going to look at each one of those in a second. But the, the, the point is, is and, and I've seen this over and over and over again, I can watch two people get in a conversation and talk about what's going on. And I can hear them by how they're expressing that person is a very shepherding heart. That person has a very prophetic heart. That person has a very evangelistic heart. Um, and so the purpose of this is to discover this. Why? This one of the problems I've seen in the church is, when, is how we're wired. We think everybody should be doing it that way, to be that way. 
the fact is, is uh, I, that the body needs the gifts I have, and I need the gifts that the body has. And so the gifts the body has will challenge me in areas I need to be challenged in, disciple me, grow me up. The, the gifts that, that I have will vice versa do that. And ultimately, together, we will express Christ. Let me say this. There's a fundamental misunderstanding we have as to what the purpose of the, the gathering of the church is. The primary purpose of the gathering of the church, the primary purpose is not for your edification, not for my edification, not for us to have a place to worship, to express worship. The primary purpose of the gathering of the church together is the public face of God expressed in the world. It is the, it is the public face of God expressed in the world. It is how we, as a community, glorify Him. And that means we're all going to have different graces, uh, uh, ways grace is manifested in our lives to, to, to exhibit the multifaceted grace of God, the multifaceted glory of God. There's a picture in, in Revelation when the elders are uh, gathered around the throne. And they're worshiping the Lord, and they throw their crowns down, and they worship Him, and they come up, and they worship Him again, and throw their crowns down, and they come up. I heard one teacher put it this way. The reason why they keep doing it over and over is every time they come up, they see another aspect of God's glory, and they go, oh, my goodness, and they fall again, because His glory is infinite. The primary purpose of us gathering together is to be that public face of God. Um, all right. So each so gift each represents, represents a value set. It's a, it's a, it's a synergistic, synergistic blend, blend that's brought together. We, we may have, um, um, uh, chances are, if you've taken the test, well, I hope some of us have. We can discuss it a little bit. Um, uh, you, 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 there's likely some kind of a blend there. What, the way the, the test in the, uh, the lab has it, it has certain percentages. You know, you're, you're kind of a, and, and when I took it, mine was very, very accurate. Is when I step back and go, yeah, that's pretty much how I understand um, how God's wired me. So what are the different aspects? Um, people with uh, apostolic tendencies, again, people who start things, they break new ground. They're often multi-competent. They'll often have multiple things that they're competent in their life. Why? Because entrepreneurial people have to wear lots of hats. They have to do multiple things. Um, uh, so prophetic people, I, I like the way he put it, speaking truth to power, calling people to repentance, calling people to experience the grace of God, um, that a prophetic voice, um, uh, evangelists, they're literally drawn to the lost. Very often, people who have a, a evangelistic tendencies actually feel more comfortable around lost people than around believers. And I say actually because a lot of people who aren't that way go, Really? And then people that are that way go, of course. Um, uh, shepherds, shepherds are nurturers. They're caring. You know, the the, the um, their hearts break when other uh, when when they see brokenness. They want they want to they want to to bind that. They want to they have great compassion. Um, and teachers, very analytical. Able to take complex things and break them down into simpler concepts for people to understand, bite-sized pieces. They really take the the, the um, 
complexity of, of the scriptures or whatever they're teaching and put it in ways that, well, I can get that. I understand that. I understand that. But if you were to give me this, I don't know what you're talking about. All right. So, again, we're likely a blend. And the question is, is how does Jesus come out of you? And the, the, the answer is it's a journey of discovery. And this is a journey. We're going to be going through a journey of discovering this. Um, so, uh, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Why? To equip the saints. Come on. For the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is what we're called to. This is, the, this is what we're called to. Attaining unity. In faith, walking this thing out. Full knowledge of who the Son of God is. Maturity. Measure of the stature of Christ. We look like Jesus. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cutting, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. I'm telling you, I'm working through some things right now. There's tremendous amount of deceit that's going on. And I would submit to you, if I were to lay these things out, it's not for tonight, if I were to lay some of this out, I know very few Christians, even Christians, been Christians for 20 years, who would be able to actually sit down and pick through what those things are. And maybe scratching their head going, wow, is that real? Because he's very crafty. But see, when we are, when we, when we uh, intentionally grow in these things, then we are able to stand against the schemes, and the wiles of the enemy. And rather than being defensive, we become offensive, bringing repentance and grace to others to escape his schemes and wiles. All right. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see, there's not, um, uh, you, there is no unimportant link in the body of Christ, making each link grow together in love. There is no unimportant, there is no insignificant. And so discovering this is discovering how Jesus wants me to relate and connect to others and how what others have that I need in order to reflect him. All right. So having said that, it, um, I know, Jenny, you, you took it. Would you be willing to, to share? So Sir. Okay, so I'm just going to repeat them back, make sure I heard them. The top one was profit at 72%, and then you had behind that apostle, and then um, and then evangelist. One was 65, one was 63. Then you had pastor at 57 and teacher. I'm at pastor at 58 and teacher at 60. Okay, so pastor was the lowest. And teacher was, okay. So, so how did that fit, that fit 
your personality? Are you much more speak truth to power? Or are you... <laughs> and I, 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 was, I was not going to say I concur until you said it first. <laughs> but at, isn't that cool? To discover that? And see, here's the thing is, uh, I'm gonna, I'll hold back on that, commenting on it, but um, what did you learn about yourself from that? Why is that? Why did that surprise you? Yeah, you think you think of the person who is has, who has the calling as an evangelist. I'm gonna okay. Now, I forgot to say this earlier. I'm sorry to interrupt. But I do want to point this out. He used the term of these are five um, offices. I would submit to you they're not. They're giftings. The only offices in the scripture are elder and deacon. That's the only offices in the scripture, elders and deacons. Now, some would say elders or um, you could call them um, uh, bishops or uh, episcopus. Um, those, those terms are overseers is another word for it. So overseers, elders, I submit to you that elders and overseers are interchangeable. It's the same office. And then deacons. These are giftings. And people absolutely can be called to a full-time ministry exhibiting and living out this gifting. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about how the, these ways in which Jesus expresses himself through the church, we will have tendencies to express ourselves or see the scriptures and see the world that way and express Jesus in that way. So, um, yeah, so your thought was, I see what an evangelist is when an evangelist does and go, that's not me, Right? Probably because your personality type doesn't match the type, uh, the personality type you would see in that type of a person. Hmm. Wow, that's good. That's really good. And that's going to be, we're going to develop that out some more as well as we get into next week. Yeah, that's cool. Hmm. Thank you for sharing. Anybody else do this one? Yeah, it's on the site. It's called the APEST. The AP, it stands for Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Shepherd, Teacher. It's the APEST test. It's on the site. Yes? The apostle ones are ones who start things, who want to push the envelope, who want... Actually, I got this. Yeah, that's why just kind of went... Um, here is, um, I like this definition, the spark of movement. You, you come alive at the idea of forging a new movement. It might be a business, an organization, a ministry, or a sub-movement within an, or, an existing organization. In general, no matter what you do, there needs to be enough space to incorporate your unique vision or your heart will feel stifled. You will dwell in the land of big picture, visionary talk, and work. 
and as a result, you likely have more ideas than you can handle. Your greatest need is focus, so you can implement the highest priority idea. Um, rather than starting the umpteenth next project that you won't finish. <laughs> you aspire to empower other people to become all that they are meant to be and are brilliant at leading teams into supernatural levels of cooperation and productivity when you have owned your gifts. In other words, when you learned how to hone them and, and, and work them. So it's something you grow into. So that's kind of an apostolic outlook. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and lots of us creative people have lots of good ideas and, you know, can't do everything. Um, but it's it's much more that um, you look at the world around you and you see that how it is functioning and that if if this piece were functioning in this way and we moved in this way, it could make a real difference to touch a lot of lives. And you begin to try to move people in that direction as God's leading you to, um, it's probably today the best example are missionaries, right? Um, uh, you know, going into, we'll just take Isaac as an example, going into one of the poorest places in, in Ethiopia and saying, okay, how can we go in here? And, you know, one of his, part of his personality type, when it says he was kind of praying through this and trying to discover what's God calling him to, don't give me a bureaucracy. He put boots on the ground. Let me work directly with people. Let there not be lots of um, uh, decision layers in between actually getting effective change in people's lives. Um, and, and uh, you know, um, creating, how do I work in an environment where, Typically, people can't go and work in this environment coming from the background that I have. You know, that, that working that new thing, reaching poor children and changing their lives, reaching single moms and getting out the, getting the poverty mindset out of them. That's an apostolic um, tendencies. Those are apostolic ways of, of um, thinking and, and behaving. Um, and typically, you'll have other gifts along with that. Um, as you as you go through that, hmm. interesting. All right, what do we got? All right, so this week, take that test, put your results down. We can we can talk about them next week. Um, uh, where you are on that? Um, and let's let's talk through the last one. Let's go through this last one. So this last one is opportunity analysis, and this will complete the outside. This is completes the objective part. Um, it's how does our past, our present, and our future inform how God's calling us? And I, was, and I like how they put it. It deeply informs it. How? How does that deeply inform it? Um, so uh, we always think, a lot of people when they're thinking about calling, Okay. Well, God's calling me. When we think that, we think, well, I need to go here because God's calling me, or I need to go there. Um, where I am now can't possibly be where I'm called because it seems so haphazard. Like, you know, why would he, like, well, I just got, kind of got here randomly. Why would he be calling me here randomly? Um, yet, the fact is, most of the time, God wants you right where you already are. That's where he wants you because that's where you are. Um, and that 
this is a demonstration. I love this. This is a quote here. I really think this is a demonstration of the sovereignty of God, that you look around you and see that your best opportunity is for ministry is right where you're already planted. And there's scriptures that go with that, and we're going to look at them um, in, in just a minute. Let's, let's jump into this last video here. So the final piece of the recipe, the concoction, which is your objective state, going into this triangulating your calling, I think is opportunity. So any sense of calling that we might have has, is mitigated by the opportunity to actually do it. So the, you know, the example I always give is you might feel called to teach middle school, but if you are currently incarcerated in a prison, uh, that's not going to happen. You're not going to be able to do that. So you have to look at your actual opportunities and what is before you. And, and I think we often underestimate that the place we actually are already at is the sovereign hand of God at work in our lives. We, we always think, I need to move somewhere else. I can't, where I am now can't possibly be where I'm called because it seems so haphazard. Like, I didn't do anything intent, intentional to get here. And yet, not all the time, often we must move from where we are. But many, in many cases, you're right where God wants you already. And discovering that by analyzing what are the missional opportunities right in front of you. Uh, I love this this um, scripture in 1 Corinthians 7. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them, just as God has called them. This is the rule I laid down for all the churches. And then he finishes with this. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when he called them. It's almost as if calling is to the place you are. And I, I really think oftentimes that, that is a demonstration of the sovereignty of God. That he is, you look around and you realize, man, my best opportunity for ministry is right here. If we're going to do some sort of inventory of our current opportunities, we must look at it from three vantage points. We have to really look at it in terms of time. Take a look at your past. And often something that you've been through could be it could be something as pedestrian as uh, you have a degree in something you actually you know learn to do a thing and now that's a part of you that is that creates opportunity because you have that degree or that uh, certification or something like that I went to nursing school and so now that's an opportunity for mission is you could be a nurse in various places that seems obvious but we have to look at that but then also the adversity of our past pain abuse neglect failures, our struggles, our addictions, those things especially if we've achieved some level of redemption or, or restoration, they become, in many of our lives, they become opportunities, ways to be used by God because we can say, I know what that's like, I have been there, and other people can't. And so that creates a ministry opportunity, that creates a missional opportunity. I remember my grandmother suffered from Crohn's disease for a number of years and, and I, I remember being very young and her saying uh, her going and doing counseling to people that had been, just been diagnosed with Crohn's I think it's very similar with cancer survivors it's almost as if, if you survive cancer you just feel the obligation to uh, help people that are diagnosed with cancer it's like it's like a, a, a community a camaraderie that, that, that exists man you survived you must then help people 
you never maybe wanted to do cancer ministry, but because that's in your past, it becomes a part of your opportunity and part of your calling. You're present. Where are you? We talk about uh, you know places. Um, where do you work? The first places. Uh, where do you go to school or live? Uh, second places. And then where do you frequent? Where where are your haunts? You know, public houses or or your laundromats or the intramural fields where you play sports, those places where you go where other people are, you're already there. And those are oppor- those are missional opportunities. You don't have to move yourself. You're already where you need to be. There are people there who need to know that God made them and loves them. And that's mission right there. Just stand here you know, in school, that where you're in class every day. You look around, you're, you're with people that need to know about this God who loves them madly. And you don't have to go somewhere else. You don't have to get on a plane. You don't have to relocate. You're already where you need to be. So in analyzing that, where am I? In my present, what are my opportunities? And then your future. There are actually things that are planned for you. What are your dreams? What are you What are you imagining? What are, are you in the middle of a course of study? And someday you'll be done with that course of study. You can begin to think about your future and how that might create opportunities for you. If I am to finish this degree, if I am to finish this certification, if I am to, uh, you know, have this this summer internship or experience and when I'm done with that what kind of opportunities will I create where will I be able to go what doors will be open to me that also is important so what I think really the opportunity analysis is simply broken down into those three time segments and each of us should take time to inventory that and see what is available to us where could God potentially use us and you might see lights going on So, um, a few things that I think are important um, as we summarize through this. Um, when you it, when you really take the time to examine opportunities, it, could, it, it literally could be the trump card to calling, right? Um, if, if you're really like, I really want God to, uh, Lord, I feel feeling called to this. If there's literally a roadblock because you don't have that opportunity, obviously that's not the calling. Doesn't say God won't make it in the future, but it it, it for the moment for the, that that uh, uh, circumstance or situation, there's no opportunity. It's not a calling. Um, and like the example that he used, um, don't underestimate your calling right where you are. This has been the the rule that I've used in my entire life from walking with the Lord. Um. Where God's put me, that's where I am until I clearly hear him tell me to be somewhere else. Why? Because I'm going to have struggles right where I am. There's going to be doubts. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be trials. If I've got to constantly hear, is this it? Is this it? Is this it? it?" Then I'm not able to stand in faith through the struggles of where he's put me. But if I know this is where he's put me, he has not told me to be somewhere else, then that, then my only choice is to figure out how do I grow in faith right where I am, not how do I get out of it. So um, don't underestimate your calling right where you are. Only in 1 Corinthians seven seventeen. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. God is the significance of those words. God has assigned you a life. He's assigned one to you. 
to which God has called you. This is my rule in all the churches. And Paul's not saying this is one or two people. That's literally how it is for everyone, period. And he goes on in the same passage further down in verse 24. Uh, so, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. And he's having this discussion, or were you circumcised or were you uncircumcised? Were you a slave or were you a free man? And he's, he's talking about life circumstances. Whatever circumstance God's called you in, that's what you're in. Don't try to get out of what you're in until God gives you a clear opportunity to move past that. Be who he's called you to be right where you are. Um, now... Part of, of turning where you are into calling is to intentionally analyze the opportunities that are around you. The scripture says this, look unto the field, it is white unto harvest. Jesus didn't say, oh, there's you know a few little pockets of garden around somewhere and you might find one. He said, the fields are ripe unto harvest. The problem isn't the harvest fields. The problem is that workers aren't willing to go out there and start picking. That's the problem, according to Jesus. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers into the field. There are opportunities galore around us right now. The devil is destroying lives all around us. There is something you can bring life to around you. It's there. The question is intentionally analyzing it. So how do we do that? How do we inventory these opportunities? Um, the first thing is look to our past. What are the experiences? What are the educations? What life adversities has God brought you through? Where has God built faith in your life? Pain, abuse, neglect, failures. Um, I'm, I'm not connecting, I don't want to connect failures with this, but I'm, I'm, I was thinking about this before. You know, many people know that, that Bill and Laura are involved in a ministry called VMTC, Victorious Ministry Through Christ. Well, I'm not, I don't, I'm not going to speak Bill's personal testimony, but one of the reasons you go into that is because Jesus brought you victory from failures, and you want other people to have that freedom. And so now God's brought you this opportunity where you can bring other people up. You can not only help them get free, you can train them to help other people get free because of your failures. Wow. That's huge. That's a grace of God, looking to your past. What have you? And some things are going to be positive experiences. Some things are going to be negative experiences. It's all to the glory of God. Looking to the present. Where do you work? Where do you go to school? Where do you live? What do you, where do you frequent? Where's your, where are you hanging out? Where's your activities that you do? Um, I, you know, uh, um, Brian Bunn, a lot of you know Brian Bunn. He and his wife, Doris, met each other because the... Um, uh, this guy started doing a Bible study. It's called Jesus Beer and Sandwiches. And like, there was a, a, a pub they would go to and try different beers whenever. And there were people that had that activity. And they would go. And then they would open up the Bible together. And pretty soon, people who would never come into a church, who would never do something else, are coming and sitting there and opening up the Bible together. And here, you know, Brian and Doris meet each other. Um, there's another guy that I know of that loved to play uh, 
loved to play soccer. He was a big soccer player. And, then, and afterwards, after they go play soccer, they would go, uh, they also would go to a pub afterwards. And he was like, you know how, I, I want to, this is my activity. I want to reach these people. I, I, I'm with them every week. We're, you know, we're, we're sweating. We're having fun. We're doing all this. And we go. And we have a beer afterwards. How can I reach these people? So he decided to try to start a Bible study right there on the field afterwards. And nobody wanted to hang. So what he did is he took it to the, to the pub that they would go to and open the Bible there. They all started, hey, I will. Pass it around. Look, um, my point is, is there are creative ways to look at right where God's put you. I don't know what activities and things that are in your life, but how you can uh, find them. But there are ways. Look to the future. What are those things that get your heart beating, plans, dreams, imaginings that you've had? All right? And so the goal is this. What you do is, you know, we're going to look through a series of questions right now. How to actually do this. Um, so pull out your pens, papers, pencils, notebook, notes, whatever. Um, we're going to finish up with this right here. And uh, take a moment right now and think about your past. Where do you come from? Does that place of origin connect you to a particular group of people? If so, who? Think about that. That's a simple one right there. I come from this background or that background, and it just connects me. Does that connect you to anybody? Have you been through anything in your past that defines you in some way, good or bad, making you a part of a group of people who have been through or experienced the same thing? Have you gone through something that other people have gone through, good or bad, in your past? What is that? Think about it right now. Write it down. Put it in your phone, whatever. Where have you seen fruit in your life or ministry in the past? Where has God brought fruit to you? Where, where have you experienced God? Where? Where have you, where is, where has he touched your life? Where have you seen something? Where has there been a blessing in your life from God? In the past, somewhere. Write it down. All right, now let's move to the present. Wait for everybody to catch up here. Where are you from? Um, what have you experienced in the past, good or bad, that other people have experienced? Yeah, if this is a good idea if you want to take pictures of the questions to contemplate this more later. If you ask me for my notes, I'll send them to you. I'll send you the PowerPoints. Okay, so let's talk about present for a minute. Um. Where is your first place? Where do you spend most of your time right now during the day? Where do you find that typically most people is going to be work or school or something like that? Where's your first place? Simple one. Second question. Where's your second place? After work or school, where do you spend most of your time? 
Is it home? Is it where? Where is that place? Write it down. First thing it hits you. All right, number three. Where's your third places? Where do you go when you're not in the first two places? Write those down right now. Where do you go? What do you What do you do when you're not doing those first two things? If I'm not here and I'm not here, you might find me here, here, or here. Write those down. I like this. The gym, coffee shops, parks. All right. Now, here's, here's one to, to think about for a second. What unique missional opportunity does your presence or access afford you in your present places? Did I? Thank you. What unique missional opportunity does your presence or access afford you in your present places? I'll throw some some two ways of looking at it, okay? Um, uh, one time, um, there was a couple of us started a Bible study at work. And it turned out, I, I was... Just it had been on my heart to start a Bible study. After a while, people were telling me, you know, that they had never been in a small group before. Their church didn't really have it, and this was their small group. I was like, seriously? Wow. Um, I'll give you another one. Um, uh, you do prayer walks through your neighborhood, and you start praying for people. And you just you just walk up and start praying for them. There's, there's, there's prayer ministries you can go where you, where you just... Um, uh, I'll, I'll talk, talk about it later, but you can reach. So the point is being is I can reach a certain geography right where I am. Then I can uh, also in my present places reach people who are in a certain specific, um, uh, 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 in, in some certain way or specifically connected to me, something I've experienced, something I've gone through, some uh, something that I can bring to them. So I have geographical things, and then I have specific things. We'll talk more about that as we go through this. All right, next one. Of the population that you have access to right now, of the people that you can access right now, who would you say has the greatest need? Write that down. Who would you say of all that has the greatest need? Think about it for a minute. All right, then the last section. What, think about, let's think about our futures. Do you have any set plans, any courses of study, any opportunities in the future that will affect where you are or, or, or what you could do? Are you, have you made those plans? Are you working through anything? Or anything in the future that you know of? New jobs. Okay, next. Write about your culture. How could that relate to your calling? Your cultural background. Do you have a particular cultural background that you can relate to other people? Okay. 
Oops. All right. So the, the exercise will be, and I don't, I don't want to do this right now. I want you to take everything we just talked about and summarize those things. Just kind of take them, pick the highlights, the bullet points, summarize them, and put them. Don't make final decisions. Let them be processes of working and put them on that part of the triangle. Put them on that part of the triangle. Um, these are these are going to be. So as you notice, what we're doing is we're starting out here and we're drilling down a little bit as it, through each exercise. This is the final exercise of the objectives. Next week, we're going to get into the subjectives, listening, hearing hearing God's voice, um, looking at how God's what moves us, and 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 we'll take all of this together and start to refine this down a little bit. See what opportunities end up coming our way. So, the scripture is this. I'm going to repeat it again. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. There it is. Every one of us has been assigned a life of the Lord. He's called us to it. I like how um, in the book of Acts, when they talk about the life of David, and David accomplished the purpose of God in his generation, and then he slept. All right. So, um, uh, next week we get into this. Um, let's we can have an opportunity to maybe share some of these things. Those who are willing, kind of talk about them a little bit. And then what we're going to talk about next week to get into is an emotional evaluation. Um, there are things that move you, and the fact that they move you means that you will be motivated to act on them. And it's a very very important understanding those things. Um, we're going to talk about listening prayer. How do we, how, how do we get into some soaking prayer and let God speak to us about all of these things as we lay all these before Him, not from our preconceived, but it's like, Lord, what are you doing out of all of this? And and then counselor input, other people in our lives who can help us to kind of discern through this. Uh, and that's that's where we're going. So, thank you to everyone. Um, Bill, would you mind closing us out in prayer tonight? It's a divine appointment. You've, you've, you've drawn us all here. Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for each and every one of us. I thank you for this congregation. Lord, thank you that you're mindful of us. Lord, be with us as we go. When we don't know what to do, cause us to pray for a boldness to engage. Cause us to pray for a boldness to present you to the world. Because, Lord, we know when you give it to us that you'll also Give us the method to deliver it. We thank you for that, Lord. Help us to be good ambassadors and good stewards of, of everything you've given us, including your spirit. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Brian, let me know when we're turned off up there. And uh, we'll just take take a minute to, um, to close out in here after we get turned off up there.